Okay, let's just pray together before we turn to God's word. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the life that you've, you're breathing into us at this moment. We thank you that you breathed into this word, this Bible that we have, and it's inspired, it's your inspired word. No one should add from it, nobody should take anything away from it. It speaks for you and it is your word. We acknowledge that today, Father, and we just pray that whatever's said in the hall here, that you would just help it to be helpful in alignment with what your word would seek to speak to us today in this church at this time to this people. And from the youngest folks in here, Lord Father, to all age groups, both in the hall and online, help us to understand what you're saying to us, to receive it and believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're working our way through Corinthians, and today we're in chapter 4. If you do have your Bibles, feel free to turn to that. If you don't, we'll also have some verses up on the wall. And today we're looking at 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 14 to 21. One thing I would say to you, um, try and read along yourself when you're going through Corinthians. It's not just for those who are preaching and up the front, whether it's myself and John or others as we take part in the series. The more you read yourself, obviously, of God's word, the more that you take in and the more that you understand. We're told to meditate on God's word. So I just encourage you, I'm sure you have been, but please read the way through Corinthians, read back through from chapter one over these weeks that we're covering it. And it's amazing the connections that you find. One, one thing you can't do with scripture is take verses 14 to 21, for example, out of context. What I mean by that, you can't just lift it out of that entire book of Corinthians without reading the rest of it. Either what comes before or what's coming after. And some of what I'm going to do today is going to go back a wee bit. And please forgive me for that, but I'm not going to apologise because I think to actually understand, I need to recap some of what John would have covered last week to a certain extent, but not recover the ground he's done. So we have this situation where the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, used to persecute the church, but Jesus literally met him on the Damascus Road, shining light, voice of Jesus saying, you're actually persecuting me, Saul. What are you doing? You think you're, you think you're uh, zealous, you think you're um, religious and doing right things for God, but actually you don't really know the true God. I am Jesus. I am the one you're persecuting. And that was an eye-opening experience for Saul, wasn't it? That was Saul's personal encounter with Jesus Christ, who is God's son sent to pay the price for his sins and the sins of the whole world. Now, Saul was living at the time when these things happened. So he was now learning the truth about what happened when Jesus died and was resurrected. Some people looked in the cross and thought it was foolish. Some people thought, that's it, Jesus is gone. That was a natural conclusion to make, wasn't it? Somebody's been nailed to a cross, died, you watched them die, you watched them get put in a, in a grave, and all of a sudden some disciples start running around three days later saying he's alive. I have a decision to make at that point. Am I going to believe he's alive based on testimony of those who say they've encountered him, or am I going to just refuse? That's just a story. But can I say the evidence of Jesus being alive was when he rose 
Uh, up obviously from the grave, he appeared to his disciples many times with convincing proofs that he was alive. Then in Acts chapter 1, he says, I need to go. And he's taken up to heaven. But he says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And I know we've maybe different backgrounds here, different understandings of God, but you'll hopefully know the concept of there is one true God, one God, but there's three persons within the Godhead. There's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All God, one God, have existed since before the creation of the world. Even in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's true, isn't it? Amen. You can see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in communion working all the way through the Old Testament in our Bibles and then into the New, when Jesus comes in physical form, but he existed as God before that. Very important, that, isn't it? So you have people like Saul who had studied the Old Testament but didn't know about Jesus and they didn't recognise him for who he was. But Paul had a radical encounter. And what did Paul discover, or Saul? He discovered, I'm actually a sinner. He was persecuting and actually killing or allowing the deaths of Christians. Terrible stuff, right? But what changed his life was a personal encounter with Jesus. And I would suggest to you that Paul knew that that was the main thing, right? That's how you get into the kingdom of God, through believing in the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. Through believing that the Bible tells us clearly, if we confess our sins and we declare that Jesus is Lord, for us, our Lord, we will be saved. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So salvation or being saved is not an automatic thing. We have to make some response decisions there, don't we? We have to, like being an encounter with Jesus on that Damascus road, our encounter might be a bit different. It might be being in a service like this and somebody tells you about Jesus and you go, wow, that's true, I believe that. I'm going to ask God to forgive my sins because of Jesus today. I'm going to receive that into my life and believe it. That's when you become a Christian. That's when you become like John chapter 3 says, Jesus said you must be born again. Born again? I can only be born once, physically. But Jesus says you need to be born again. Why am I focusing on these things? Because this is the good news of Jesus Christ. If there is one message we're told to proclaim, it is believe in Jesus as God's lamb, perfect sacrifice for us on the cross, his perfect life, his death, paying the price for our sins because the wages of sin is death. And that I'm a sinner and I'm not going to go to heaven and I'm not going to be restored to my right relationship with God without trusting in the way and the truth and the life, Jesus Christ, trusting in God's sacrifice. Now that's something a child can understand, isn't it? It is something a child can understand. I believe at seven years old, my brother would thrive. There are kids not here today, but they have given commitments at young ages, haven't they? In our church. But that's the central truth. And the church is encouraged not to get away from that truth. So when Paul says, verse 1 of Corinthians 4, remember what I just said there about what the main thing is, about what the point of salvation in Jesus Christ is, about what the message is. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us, like me, a sinner saved by grace, me, Paul. I'm a servant of Christ, he says. Doesn't say I'm a lofty leader. Doesn't say I'm somebody with power that you should admire. 
what does he describe himself as? A servant. What's a servant? Someone who takes the low seat, somebody who realizes they have a master. Who's Paul's master, do you think, based on what I said to you? It's Jesus Christ, it's God. The Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Paul's reminding the church in Corinth, that's the way you should look at us. And we've been entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. What does that mean? Well, that means what I just told you there at the beginning. Jesus Christ, for our salvation, paid the price for our sins on the cross. That's a, a big part of God's plan revealed to us, isn't it? God's speaking the truth, revealing these things to us so that we might believe and become servants of Christ, just like Paul is showing. And he says, now it is required that those who have been, gi those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So when you become a, a follower of Christ or a servant of Christ, no matter what age you are, God is in a sense trusting that truth in you. Does that make sense? He's trusting his truth into your life. And you carry that truth with you. You know the truth about Jesus Christ as your saviour. You know he's alive. You know the message. So what is God trusting you with? When he says you must prove faithful, I think there's two things. One thing he expects is you to live a life that's a life of obedience to the way Jesus lived. And we know we're not perfect, but we're shown in the scriptures and by Jesus' life what a godly life looks like. So we're meant to try and read God's word, pray for God's spirit to help us and help. His spirit helps us to live that new life. So number one, be an example of Christ or for Christ in your life. And another one is be faithful in your words. And what's the main focus of the words that Christ has given us? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he expects us to speak that, not just from a pulpit, but in a coffee shop and in a workplace and wherever God opens a door to you and I. But unfortunately, in the Church of Jesus Christ at Corinth, like happens a lot in life, people are arguing about everything. <laughs> And they've got, their, they've got their eyes off the two main things. Live the life for Christ as a servant of Christ and speak the gospel and preach the gospel. Meanwhile, they're judging one another. They're unfairly, they're raising up leaders like Apollos and Paul and one of them favours Paul and one favours Apollos. All things that are not helpful, not being encouraged by them. And even worse, they're starting to boast. They're boasting in the church. And down at the, the bottom there in the white uh, verse 6, and he's, Paul is talking to the Corinthians church and their behaviour, the way he's observing it. He says, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. So he's saying even when you, this kind of message of one of you prefers Paul or Apollos, you're actually just sinning in the church. You're just causing boasting in the church. It's not helpful. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So can I suggest that Saul knew he was a great sinner? Did, and it's documented by his own words in the scripture elsewhere. And the chief of sinners. And he had an encounter with Christ and he realized that he was a chief of sinners, but God forgave him. 
He also then realized I'm a slave to Jesus, so to speak, for the rest of my life, or probably the better word is a servant. The rest of my life is dedicated to this message and this God. So he's saying, I received that, but so did you. Because when I came to you, I told you the same message, right? All of you folks at Corinth received the same message. So where's, why are we boasting about things? Because we're just sinners who were saved by a wonderful, perfect saviour. And we all got to the kingdom the same way. Therefore, why are we behaving as if one is better than the other? Does that make sense? And I think a lot of the time there's a lot of divisions in churches because we miss, we just take our eyes off of the Lord and we take our eyes off of his character. If Jesus walked in here just now, what would he probably do? Well, we have examples of Jesus walked in and washed people's feet. We know that's not a modern thing, isn't it? But if you were walking in sandy places with sandals on, that was one thing to do. Now, Jesus demonstrated what it was to be like himself in a meeting, right? in a household when they were together by stooping down and taking a low seat and washing his disciples' feet. That's our God. If he came in here today, he'd be saying, how can I help you, Nancy? That's the Jesus we serve. That would walk through a crowd and one woman would touch the hem of his garment, not even touch him, and he would go, where's the power gone? Where's the faith? And he knew, of course, one woman in a crowd with a sickness, reaching out to Jesus and he notices and he cares and he stops and he goes there. If, if we are behaving like Christ in the church, then we should be serving one another. And there's a lot of good things you can say about the church here at New Beginnings. We're not perfect, but that's what we're striving towards. Take the low seat and you can't go wrong. Find a way to serve someone else and care about someone else. Jesus cared about us and cares about us. And he does things for us. Two things together, right? In his heart, he loves us. God loves us. And then he does things to show his love. It's basically as simple as that in the church. I really think we complicate things with fancy preaching sometimes. I'm not being critical of other preachers, but it's spoken about in 1 Corinthians 1. We've covered that, haven't we? Are we with your fancy speaking and just let's preach the gospel? In reality... Your actions are shown by your heart. It's the same in Christ. If you've got the love of Christ in you and you've experienced that love, then it should be coming out. And it should be relatively easy to spot those folk are Christians. There's something different about them. Jesus said, if you love one another, then the world will know that you're my disciples. Even before you speak a word. So if you see a church that's not loving one another and not displaying that love, something is wrong. And we are all responsible to make sure we correct that as quickly as possible. Yeah. Excellent. I agree, Thomas. <laughs> I'll move on. Does that make sense? And you know that there's two types of wisdom about what success looks like in life. We've talked a bit about it before, but we think becoming rich, having material possessions and being powerful in life is important, as it covers in verse 8 there. But to the Lord, that's all secondary. It's not that having money is wrong, as we've covered previously, but God is looking at your heart. What did he say about King David? He's a man after my heart. He didn't say he was perfect, but he was a man after his heart. And God is looking into our heart and saying, where's your heart towards me? And God might choose to bless us with riches and other things and favour and job and whatever, but he's always going to check our heart. 
And that's hit the measure of the pleasure of God with our behavior, right? But this is all worldly stuff in the church. So I'm not going to go here, but I'm just trying to cover the heart of things because we need to get into what the heart of also what God is saying here to, to us today. Um, and do you know what? The people in Corinth were actually, instead of saying thank you to Paul, they were actually throwing it all back in his face. And they were being really poor to him. He says he's hungry, he's thirsty, they're in rags, they're brutally treated, they're homeless. What is the church in Corinth doing to help him? It looks like they're being critical of Paul as opposed to probably doing what they should do, which is helpful. So into the verses today, and there's only a few verses today, so we'll not be long from here on, but I just felt I wanted to get into the heart of those scriptures prior to, to understand the heart of how we continue here. So Paul is really, he's, I would say his heart is aching here. Um, he planted this church, he, maybe 18 months, two years before that, had just arrived in this area, had experienced persecution and difficulty, put his life on the line really, put his life on the line, sharing the good news of Jesus, facing hardship, and these people believed, and they were, that, that would have been a great joy to him. Uh, and he says, verse 14, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I'll just stop there. So Paul is not saying that there's a spiritual hierarchy. I'll just clear that up first, okay? There's an unhelpful use of father terms in the church worldwide, and I don't need to dig into details to explain. You'll maybe know some of what I'm talking about there. There is no, there are, there's a concept of leadership in the church and elders and deacons and things like that. But Paul is not trying to replace God here by saying, I became your father, okay? I'm not saying that. What he's saying is, almost like a, an earthly father helps train a child. A child comes into your care, right? When a child is born, what happens? That, that child becomes into the care of those who look after it, whether that be parents or elsewhere. And if you're a father, and a child's been born into your family, you're responsible for them to, to a large extent, or you feel responsible for them and you have some responsibilities to them. It's the same in the church, isn't it? It's the same in the church. So I think when we say terms like church, as God's, it should be like a family, that's a true term. There's somebody in our church said that recently. In fact, it was their, it was, uh, their daughter that said it. That that church at New Beginnings is like your family. It was Moira. She won't mind me saying that because it was opening when she shared it. So Moira's daughter of things said that church at New Beginnings is like your second family. Well, it should be because we're welcoming into God's family, the Church of Jesus Christ everywhere, and in a local area when we become part of a church, part of a local church family, and. That sense of, it's not about age, you know, you need to be 80 to be somebody's father <laughs> or mother, but those who are becoming new Christians come under the care, so to speak, of those who are leading and helping. And we, we have seen a great display of that in this church, haven't we? Look at the Sunday school. Look at the way the kids get treated really positively by all of you. That's you exhibiting to those younger children what it's like to have a spiritual father and mother, what it's like to have somebody to look up to, what godly behavior looks like. Yeah. So you have a responsibility, but it's also a blessing to you to have a position like that. 
you're in this bigger family now than your natural family and you have a role to play. When Nancy, you go and buy sweets before COVID-19 or even after COVID-19. But I'm mentioning that, Nancy, because it is a simple way where God's love is displayed in your life. So the kids that maybe don't see that elsewhere, see it in you. And they go, what is that? And you tell them, well, I'm a Christian. Do you know, I know God's in my life and I'm doing these things because I care. Right? It's a really small example, but it's not small. It's actually a big example. It's a huge act of service. And I'm not saying that to puff you up, <laughs> per Corinthians, right? But we should also acknowledge we need Barnabases in the church as well, right? So it's okay for me to say, Nancy, that's really good that you did that over the years and it's blessed the kids. But Nancy's not going to go, oh, I'm wonderful. <laughs> She's going to go, I'm a servant of Christ and I'm going to feel good about that. So there's a wee balance, isn't there? Let's not be puffed up, but let's not also put ourselves down. You know, let's acknowledge the good things that are happening. Paul is saying, I'm your father. That's a good thing. He's not being puffed up saying it. He's saying, I've mentored you. God's brought you into the family of God and I helped. And you're helping. So I encourage you today. Sometimes it feels as if you're not helping, but you're helping. Just a wee example of what that means. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. There it is again. Paul going back to the main thing. How do we get in this family? It's the gospel. How do we remain behaving well in the family? It's the gospel. It's all of Christ. Don't lay in a foundation. Follow his example. Follow his words. And you can't go far wrong. And then he says a really challenging message if you're looking internally as I am when you're preaching this. <laughs> okay. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Could you imagine writing that in a letter to a church, right? That you planted and 18 months later being confident enough to say to that church, okay, you saw me for a period of time. You saw my life. You saw what I did in the preaching and out of the preaching. They would have seen them right day to day. They lived life together, okay? Very, very close communities. You've got to remember that. It's not like our modern society where you just shut your door in your house and stuff. They would have known each other really well with the guard down, with the mask off, right? Scotland mask off, Nancy. <laughs> yeah, so Paul would have been seen on the good days and the bad days, yet he's able to say, I'm not perfect, but I showed you some things that you should copy. And he's talking about his lifestyle and he's talking about his words. Does that make sense? So just a wee challenge to us that if the church is to be healthy and grow and become mature, it's not just the preacher's responsibility. It's partially... I have a responsibility to be godly and to preach the truth of God, but so do all of us. Is that true? Everybody, the body of Christ collectively should be doing the same. So that that becomes a much louder and clearer sign to everybody that God is working here and God is portraying each other, so to speak. So we challenge to us but also an encouragement that we've all got a task to do that, right? For this reason, I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love. And just lovely to see that is the type of love we should be saying. That is the type of language we should be seeing in the church. Saying you love somebody can be quite difficult for Scottish men, can't it? I don't know. Does anybody agree? I used to find that a lot harder to say than I do now. I think just the more you go through life and you realize how much you can mess things up yourself before the lord or sin 
and you know how much grace the Lord needs for you. And you also go through a few, see when you go through a few broken relationships as well, sore ones that just happen, sore ones, family, friends, whatever. And the Lord comes in and he, and he helps you with that. I think the more you learn through it that God loves me, you have a deeper understanding of his love, right? And I think the deeper you understand that, the more easy it becomes to say to someone else, do you know what, I, I do love you. I might be a Scottish Glaswegian. <laughs> but I can say you're a brother in Christ and I love you in Christ's name. It's not that, it's not that emotional love. It's the spiritual love. It's like when Christ came into a room and he would wash your feet, or Christ came into the room and he would say, I love you. That's where, that's the, that's the measure we have to aim for. I'm not going through the motions in the church. I actually love you in Christ as a brother and sister. And I'll do my, my best with the Lord's strength to serve you. That's what the church should look like. So Paul is sending Timothy because he can't get there himself just now. He's planning to come, God willing. But he sends Timothy, who's also someone who he's trained and helped in the faith. And he trusts him. He says, Timothy is my son and I love him. With that love, I'm describing the love of Christ as a brother. And he's saying he is faithful in the Lord. Again, just a wee challenge to us how much our life matters in God's kingdom. That yes, we are saved. It's important to know we're saved by grace. So unmerited favour. We don't work. We don't live a good life to get into the kingdom. But when we're in the kingdom, it does matter how we live. It matters how we live. Because we can live a life that's against Christ, so to speak. You know, and we can be a bad example. Or we could do our best with God's help to be a servant. Even when we make mistakes and we shine his light and we show the goodness and train people in the right way to go. So Timothy's faithful and he's getting sent to help the church. And then he says again, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Just a huge challenge there when I read that. But it's not about perfection. It's just Paul saying, the standard I've got to live up to is the standard of God's word. The standard I've got to live up to is what I see in Christ. So balance the two things. Don't feel as if you're a lowly sinner too, too much. You need to receive God's grace. And when you make a mistake and when you do wrong things, just like Jonah, cracking wrong thing he did, disobeyed God majorly, but God had grace in Jonah's life. And he's got grace in our life through the Lord Jesus Christ. When your sins are forgiven on the cross, a really important truth this, I'll just stop on this. When the Lord Jesus paid the price for your sins, that was a once for all time sacrifice for you and I. Do we believe that? One time sacrifice. It's by grace you're saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. That verse ties in brilliantly to Corinthians where the church are boasting about self-effort and things that are actually ungodly. So to get into God's kingdom and to get into salvation and forgiveness for sins, we do not earn it, we receive it, and it is a once for all sacrifice. So we need to get rid of that false guilt and say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. God loves me, and God the Father won't change his opinion about me based on what I do, whether I, as a Christian, right? And he won't let me go. But the balance is, he doesn't want us to stay in a sinful state. He wants us to become a bit more like Jesus every day. 
by the power of his spirit. And as I've said previously, a bunch of people in a church becoming more like Jesus every day becomes a powerful force for God, doesn't it? So people walk in here, hopefully they see displayed the love of Christ and becoming more like him in our words and our actions. So this is the, the last verses. Paul saying, some of you have become arrogant. It just really seems sore, doesn't it? It seems a real shame that even just 18 months after a church has been planted that all of a sudden things have got as bad as this. But it's a wee reminder to us that we can still recover from positions like this. Paul is about to go in. We'll take a break in a, in a wee while over the summer and we'll restart Corinthians. But even next week when John comes, there are some really hard things happening in the church, some really sinful things happening if you read through the rest of the Corinthians. But remember the start of 1 Corinthians where God says there are holy people, you're a holy people, you're sanctified and you're set apart and called to holy life in Christ Jesus. That's their position, but they're falling from their position just like we can do. But there's hope there in Christ. There's grace in Christ. There's a new, be there's a new beginning. His mercies are new every morning. And this is a letter of love from a leader, a Christian leader who loves the people in Christ, who's trying to get them to recover. It's really important when you read the rest of the Corinthians to remember the heart of God here and the context. So Paul's going to come to help them, even despite their behavior. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Just to finish here, just to summarize, I was trying to just think of statements that might summarize these scriptures. Hopefully this is helpful. I think firstly, Paul is saying, basically through all of the chapters of Corinthians up until now, up to four, he's still saying the same thing. He's certainly saying preach the gospel, right? He's definitely saying that. He's saying preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Get the message right and God will save because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Secondly, he's saying set an example against that message. Set a godly example to be like Christ or becoming like Christ more. And others will imitate that. The challenge is our example can be either godly or, or not godly. And as we've said today, God is working in this to be a godly example so that others may imitate and become more like Christ. And thirdly, be a servant. And God will make the work grow. And growth is not just numerical. We've got a few less people in the church today because it's holiday time. But a, a measure of the church's uh, growth is not necessarily, it's partially um, numbers. You want to see people getting saved. But it's also quality, as we heard in the previous sermons, right? The quality of the work. The quality of the love for each other. And I hope this encourages you today about how important your role is in the Church of Jesus Christ, every one of you. The quality of your service and love for Christ is the measure of the quality of God's work in the church at any point in time, isn't it? Not how good necessarily the outward things are, the worship time, the preaching, 
although all these things are helpful. What does somebody say about you when they've had a wee chat to you when you come in today? Did somebody speak to you? Did somebody show God's love to you? Did somebody care about you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us and just simply pray, Father, that today's message might be helpful. We know that you want us to be part of a local church, so that's why you put us here in Murraysburg. You've put us here, Father, we know, to tell the community about the love of Christ, to shine God's light into the community, just Christ. We pray, Father, you'd help us to continue down this path of sanctification, becoming a bit more like Jesus every day. Thank you for what's already happened, Father, for the, the acts of service and love here at New Beginnings over these years. And we know, Father, that you will be pleased with those things that have been done in Jesus' name. And you'll also have blessed them. And there'll also be fruit of salvation in those works and in restoration for people's lives. I pray, Father, you will fan into flame the gifts that you've put into this church here in New Beginnings in Marysburg right now. Father, put your calling into people's hearts, we pray today, just like you put it into Paul's heart and you put it into Timothy's heart and you put it into others' hearts. The love of Christ. We pray that in that connection with your heart, God, you might do wonderful things for your kingdom here in this place. We want to be servants for you that are proved faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. And I pray also, Father, if there's folks just feeling really down today, maybe we're feeling like we've lost the way spiritually. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Thank you, Father that our salvation in Jesus, when we receive it, is a once-for-all sacrifice. Remind us of that today. Help us to rejoice in that today. And pick us back up, Lord, if we're needing that. And put us back on the shoreline, like Jonah. And help us to go on with what you called us to do in the first place. And not look back. So we give you thanks and pray your blessing and your protection in Jesus' name over everybody. Here today in Jesus' name. Amen.